Thanks, man. I stole this illustration. I know it's only like six feet long, but pretend this rope goes on for eternity. Never ends, just keeps going and going, going. Never ending, right? To the moon and back a billion times. This little tiny portion that you guys in the back can't even see, this metal bit right here is our 80 years on Earth. The Bible teaches that we will spend forever somewhere. We're going to exist forever, no matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. You're going to exist somewhere forever. So many people spend their entire lives living to make, to work really, 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 really hard this whole time to enjoy this little bit. They want to make that tiny little bit better and completely ignore the rest of the cord that goes on forever. I would be considered a fool to spend my entire life trying to make this tiny little speck comfortable and nice and ignore the rest of eternity. I'm not living for retirement. I'm not living for comfort. I do not plan on wasting my life by living selfishly for myself. I don't want to be a comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, security-craving, approval-desiring Christian. I have a few scriptures that have hugely impacted my life. All of these are from the leadership class. We have to memorize a good portion of them. Matthew 6. Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the one and be devoted to the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due him for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 Corinthians 3. Let each one take care how he builds upon our foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will be manifest, for the day of the Lord will disclose it, because, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will be rewarded. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. First John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Proverbs 15. The grave and hell lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of man. Isaiah 40. All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The glass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
This one makes me laugh. Proverbs 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. (laughs) I don't want to be stupid. Proverbs 24, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it, and will he not repay man according to his work? Luke 9. Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me start off saying that there's two different judgments that are going to occur on the last day. The first will be where God separates his sheep from the goats, the believers from the unbelievers. We escape the fire of hell by trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, and it isn't by anything that we perform, say, or work according to Ephesians 2 and the rest of the Bible. The second judgment will be the judgment of believers' works and what they've done. So this is not for being saved. That was the first one. The second one I lost it. Oh, found it. Okay. The second judgment will be of believers' works and what they've done. Everything we do in service to Christ and his people will be the gold, silver, and precious stones. Everything that was done selfishly or with wrong motivation will be wood, hay, and stubble. It will be burned up. Your reward will be either ashes or treasures. I don't want anyone to hear me say that if you don't do enough for Christ, you won't be saved. That's what we call works righteousness, earning your salvation. I and the Apostle Paul, for that matter, uh, am vehemently against that, and that's not at all what I'm advocating for. I was not born into a Christian family or raised within the church. There are obviously many blessings to be had by growing up in the church, but I believe I possess one blessing from not, the ability to see things that go on here differently. I don't see things in a well, that's the way we've always done it, so that's the way we'll keep doing it sort of way, whatever it may be. At a crucial moment in my life, around 15 years old, my best friend's mom took me in and said something to me. God has something to say about everything in life. It's in his word, and it's our responsibility to find out what he says, trust him, and believe him above everyone else. She explained to me that God and his word must be the lens that I look at the rest of my life through. I constantly need to be comparing my life, the way I live, the things I do, the work I do, the person I marry, the places I go, the places I live, how I spend my time, money, effort, and energy with how God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, who is the only good being, who alone is wise, says I should be living. If God and his word are not the final authority in my life, I am wrong, plain and simple. All will be shown to be Christ's when I stand before him at the judgment seat. And I want more than anything, any comfort, any material object, any life situation, anything, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Each one of us needs to be thinking about what our motivation is. And let me interject here. I'm not standing up here judging you. You don't answer to me. Right? You answer to God, which is far more terrifying For everything that you do, God has something to say about it. If your motivation in life is to acquire stuff, 
stuff, things, material, and be comfortable and finish school, get a good job, find a husband or wife, have a nice car, a nice house, enjoy long weekends and good vacations, to grow old and be healthy, have a fun retirement, collecting shells, postage stamps, working on our golf swing, acquiring motorcycles, boats, cars, or any other toy, and die easy, you're going to be, we are going to be sorely disappointed when all those things done in the name of comfort will be burned up. Someone pointed out during the break that you never see a uh, U-Haul behind a hearse. My main point is that nothing in life compares with being with God. Nothing in this life matters apart from God. Nothing will amount to anything apart from God. We have no legacy, nothing to leave behind that truly matters apart from God. Without God, nothing matters. I may sound harsh, I don't mean to. It's my nasally tone, I'm from California, so. (laughs) A reason why I'm so passionate, I guess, about this is I used to play video games a lot. I played them from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep, which was sometimes around seven or eight in the morning. I used to watch TV and movies for 10 to 12 hours a day I was addicted to porn for over 10 years. I used to sit around high on weed doing nothing but staring at a wall or a TV or some other meaningless thing. I cannot imagine how different my life would be if I dedicated one-tenth of that time memorizing scripture, serving and loving people, learning another language, taking Bible courses, anything that could be used in service to God and people. Friends, I beg you, please do not allow this world, its fleeting pleasures, and its fleeting pleasures to seduce you away from God, relationship with him, and service to him. Anything at all, good or bad, husband or wife, kids, anything, anything that draws you away from God is an idol. It's something that you have above God. <laughs> Love you, Jill. Anything that pulls you and your affections away from God is an idol. If you choose an idol over God, that makes you an idolater. Someone who worships something other than God. And we know that comfort and self are America's number one gods. A quote from C.T. Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I have stories of about three people who didn't waste their lives that inspire me not to waste mine. Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were two women who were 80 years old each. One was a doctor and one was a nurse. Once they finally retired, they decided they would go work as a mobile clinic in Cameroon in the heart of Africa, a continent devastated by crime, poverty, and living condi- poor living conditions. They decided to do something of significance, pouring their lives out to make Jesus known in one of the hardest and most unreached areas in the world, 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away in Florida or in front of a television set. General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who in his lifetime alone had 58, had operations in 58 different countries, I don't even know the numbers now. They were hard to find, but the Salvation Army that's done so much work 
so much beneficial work. Before he started all that, he had a vision. And I'm going to summarize that. William Booth was a very ordinary guy in the 1800s. He wasn't poor. He wasn't rich. He was comfortable. He worked in a pawn shop for most of his youth. One day he had a dream. In it, he realizes that he led a life of comfort and leisure. He had a nice home, spent time with plenty of friends, enjoying various assort or amusements, business, po politics, acting as if the world were going to last forever. In his dream, he suddenly got sick and died. But being a Christian, he wasn't worried about death. In fact, he welcomed death, knowing that he would be with God forever in eternity. Once he died, he was transported instantly to heaven, where he immediately experienced beauty, music, and bliss untold. But he was also met with a feeling of loneliness and slight sadness. He had never stopped and considered on earth what Christianity truly was, what Christ required, and he certainly wasn't concerned with the lost of the world. An angel opened before him the scroll of his life. He noticed that before and after his conversion to Christianity, there was no sin. Jesus had wiped it away. However, he noticed that what was recorded was his exact daily record. There before him were his thoughts, feelings, and actions. How and for what he used his time, money, influence, and all the talents and gifts that God entrusted him to spend for his glory and the salvation of the lost. He was reminded how, instead of fighting God's battles, winning souls to bring to his feet, and preparing them for admission to eternity, he had been intent on earthly things, selfishly seeking his own, spending life in practical unbelief, disloyalty, and disobedience. He was then shown a, pic a vivid picture of the world's condition, this dying, lost, hurting world that so many people are content to sit by and watch perish, People are dying, and I'm not going to sit and watch TV. I can do something about it. He was then shown a vivid picture of the world's condition, its hatred for God, and its rejection of Christ. He was shown its wickedness with all wretchedness, destitution, and depravity. His ears were assaulted by a hurricane of cursing and blasphemy, and the wail of anguish and woe coming from the world that stunned him. He was approached by three different glorified humans. Each time they asked him about their family, friends, or church members here on earth that he had known. They asked whether or not he had tried to save their poor, lost loved one. They asked whether or not he had even had one earnest, serious word with them about their soul, where they were going to spend eternity. They asked whether or not he had spent time encouraging them or, see or seeking them out from the darkness they were involved in. Each time, he was too ashamed to even answer them because he knew that he was either too busy with his own dealings, too proud, or too cowardly to seek them out with the message of the Savior's love. Paul says, I count all things as loss. All things as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Savior. My prayer is that I and the rest of us don't waste our lives when there's so much to do. If we live our entire time, you know, this much to make this little part nice and then spend the rest of eternity with nothing, 
That's heartbreaking to me. That's a tragedy. I love you guys. That's all. Thank you. Ah, good morning. I had my sermon uh, only halfway written on last Sunday, um, but I got stumped. I had three weeks uh, to write it. I just finished it last night. Um, <laughs> but all of a sudden it was Wednesday, and uh, I had three more days to finish it. And then it was put on my heart uh, that I was writing about the wrong thing. So I wrote this new sermon in three days. Today, I also want to speak to you about the judgment seat of Christ. I did grow up in the church. I grew up in Christian schools. But I also didn't know that there was two judgments. I knew that we would be judged on whether we were Christians or not, whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. Uh, but as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That says, we must all and each one, as in each believer, each of us in heaven, Matthew twenty-five fourteen through 30 spells it out for us. Most of us have heard this story before. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called it his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me, uh, to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you, you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered him and said, You wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. 
you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, will, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if we believe in Jesus Christ, by his grace we are saved. For some people, that's good enough. As long as they get their get-out-of-hell-free card, they're good to go. Those people will have nothing to show for their lives. They will not have the eternal rewards promised to us for the works in the body of Christ, the church. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. There's definite uh, emphasis on doing something. We all have things that we are good at, whether it be preaching and teaching or, or whether it be building maintenance. As in the parable, we must do according to our abilities and our talents. God opens doors for us to do his work, but we have to be proactive in doing something. I like uh, Pastor Mike's analogy of the truck with no power steering. If you've ever driven a vehicle without power steering, you know you can't steer if you're not moving. God is sitting at the wheel waiting for you to move so he can steer you in the right direction. We won't accomplish anything unless we move, unless we do something. There are different reasons that prevent us from doing things. Uh, sometimes we're lazy, lukewarm, or the fear of failure. I want to speak on the, the fear of failure for a minute. It's a legitimate fear uh, that I believe a lot of us have. I know I do at times. Sometimes it can be crippling. You have to change your mindset when confronted with failure. Failure is figuring out what doesn't work on the way to finding out what does. When asked about his failures to invent the light bulb, Thomas Edison said, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Imagine if he hadn't kept trying. And find a cause. If you have a cause to work for, it makes it easier to overcome that fear of failure and keep pressing on after you do run into a failure. You have that goal to reach. It's also easier to find people to help you out and get behind you when you have a cause. An example in my own life would be uh, the post-prison ministry that I'm working on starting. There's a lot of hurdles to jump over. It's, uh, it's slow going, a little, a little slower than I'm, uh, I expected and that I would like. But uh, sometimes, sometimes it may feel like a failure, but it's not. It's not a failure, it's just a hesitation. And you have to recognize hesitations as well and make sure you don't mistake hesitations as failures. So instead of sitting around waiting for doors to open, I'm starting a small group while I'm working on building the ministry. Starting this small group uh, keeps me moving in the right direction, strengthening and growing the church. What about you? 
Is there something that you quit before success? Imagine if you kept trying. Keep at it. If one thing didn't work, try it a different way. Just work hard and keep going. When we work hard for the Lord, other people are blessed in eternity by what we've done. We must be wise and live our lives with one eye on the judgment day. We must persevere and strive to bring glory to God to help build and grow the church. And if you want uh, to read a great book on the judgment seat of Christ, uh, I would encourage you to read This Was Your Life by Rick Howard and Jamie Lash. I I will warn you, though, uh, don't read the book if you're not ready to have a fire lit under you and lit in your soul. And uh, also, don't, uh, don't read it at work. Uh, I read the first chapter at work, and uh, I'm just glad nobody was around, because I was a wreck. <laughs> that first chapter, that'll convict you to your core. Thank you. Good morning. You can put it down there so it... <laughs> Thanks. Put it down there so because last time I tried to do this, my hand was shaking so bad people could hardly understand what I was saying. <sighs> I heard a story one time about a fire that was out of control close to a town. There were two different fire departments trying to contain it. They were throwing everything they had at it but were losing the battle. Now there was a volunteer, volunteer fire department close by, but the departments had no confidence in them. You see, they had a reputation for being kind of misfits. But the chief in charge knew that if he didn't do something, that they were going to lose the town, the people were wearing out. So even though he didn't want to, he called the volunteers. So shortly after the call, the volunteers came flying towards, towards the fire with their old, rusted, beat-up truck and seven old farmer-looking guys with worn-out gear. Sirens screaming, bell clanging, horn honking, they flew right past the fire, right past, they flew right past the trucks, right into the middle of the fire. They all quickly jumped out, hoses flying, shovels flying, made a circle around the truck. The other two departments went right into action. They made a path to the circle, splitting the fire, bringing it under control, and eventually putting it out. The volunteers became instant heroes. The people of the town were pleased that their homes were saved by the brave and brilliant action of the department. The local newspaper interviewed the chief of the heroes and asked what they planned to do with the the money from the donation. The chief replied without hesitation, well son, I think first thing we'll do is put some brakes on that truck so it'll stop. Today I'd like to talk about being properly equipped. Like the story of the volunteers, I've gone recklessly into ministry, somewhat unburnt and what I may have called successful. But there were more times when I was doing something that I was sure was good and that the Lord wanted me to do, but I failed big. I couldn't understand why the Lord didn't make my plan work. Why, why he didn't give me what I needed to be successful. All things are supposed to work out for good for those who love the Lord, right? Well, I'm learning now the reason why 
I haven't been consistently successful in doing the Lord's work in the past as I was going into battle unequipped. I was going to war with no weapons, or better said, I was doing the Lord's work, leaving the Lord at home with dust on my Bible. A professional football player doesn't practice just on Saturdays, then expects to be a star on Monday night. No, he trains day after day for the privilege to be put on the field. I've learned that the Lord won't use you unless your heart is ready to, to be used. He doesn't use you just because there's a need. In the past, I've been around people who, what I might have called more spiritual than me, they just seemed to be gifted for God's work. What I realize now is they struggled and had challenges just like I do, but they made themselves useful by preparing themselves for the day, no excuses, just basic disciplines. I've been to some churches that made worship a priority and others that made studying the Bible a priority. I've learned in leadership class that I, if I truly want to make a difference for God, I need to be concentrated on more than one discipline. A, a quarterback doesn't just practice throwing the ball. He practices memorizing pray, plays and other fundamentals that it takes to be a successful quarterback. Looking back at my life as a, in the Christian walk, I see myself climbing this mountain with Jesus, walking with me and helping me up the hill. While hiking, we'd come to a rock or a steep spot, and Jesus would hold out his hand and say, come on, I'll help you over it. But rather than being obedient to what he wanted, such as being baptized, sharing to someone, speaking or teaching in front of people, or whatever it was, I would turn and see the lights of the world and run back down into the wilderness. You have slipped. Know that I was never comfortable in the world. So I'd turn and I'd head back up the mountain. And there at that same rock was Jesus standing, ready to help me over the challenge that I'd left behind. God wouldn't give me another task or lesson until I completed the last one. I always went back up the hill with good intentions and was certain I would never fall again. But what I understand now is I was destined to fail because I didn't realize the importance of basic disciplines. And that is, I was not reading my Bible daily or having personal prayer time, memorizing scripture, going to church regularly, or having fellowship corporate prayer with weekly. Previously, these disciplines, without these disciplines, I became lazy in my faith, and next thing I knew, I was back in the wilderness. I have a lot of regrets in my life. And I'm sure most of them could have been avoided if I just stayed on task. I could have been doing amazing things for the Lord, but instead I spent my life in basic training. But now, just like it took the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness to cross the Jordan, I, like Paul, said, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward calling of Christ. I am now running a race with endurance for a crown that will last forever because I am equipping myself with disciplines. I'm preparing every day for good works by being in the word and prayer, and now 
I do not forsake the gathering of the body, and I found somebody to hold me accountable. I'm not saying that I need to wait until I'm flawless before I do anything. What I've learned in leadership class is there's things that I can do every day to equip myself for good works. It's just a decision I have to make every morning. That was the hard part. I got one last story, then I'm done. I heard on the radio about a young girl who saw a set of toy pearls on the back cereal box. She wanted them bad. She worked hard to save the box tops and every penny she could to dig them up to get the pearls. She finally got everything she needed. Then she waited and waited till she finally got the pearls. When she got the pearls, she was very proud of them. She wore them all the time. The little girl showed them to everybody. Shortly after the little girl got the pearl, after the bedtime story, Dad turned and asked her if she would give him her pearls. She said, no, Daddy, I love my pearls. He smiled and says, it's okay, I understand. But he would ask every night if she would give him her pearls. And every night she'd say, no. This bothered the little girl till one night the little girl finally said, okay. While crying, she handed the pearls over. At that time, Dad reached in his pocket and pulled out a real set of pearls. You see, so many of us are holding on to the world, which is all fake. Jesus wants us to turn over what is fake so he can give us something that's real. I am now search of true riches. Those will withstand the tr- which will withstand the test of fire and that will last forever. Thank you.